Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elder Jack Gerard, General Authority 70, representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're pleased to join the medical community, law enforcement, patients who are here today, as well as people of faith on this most important matter. There's this room in the Utah State Capitol building called the Gold Room. And it's this ornate space with all these gifts that the state of Utah has been given from different states and different countries. And on a Thursday um, in October 2018, this very disparate group of people all came together in the Gold Room for a press conference. How many of us here 15 or 20 years ago would have supported medical marijuana. I don't think myself would have been included in that discussion. The governor was there, a lot of major lawmakers were there, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was there. Medical cannabis is one that has generated strong emotions and at times, as we all well know, even heated debate. And they were all there to announce that they'd come to a compromise on a bill that would legalize medical marijuana for the residents of Utah. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I'm Natalie Fertig, and I'm the federal cannabis policy reporter at Politico. Natalie Fertig on how the Mormon church learned to stop worrying and love medical marijuana. 60% of Utahns are active members of the LDS church. That means that they have their name on the church roll. Uh-huh. Um, But 90% of lawmakers in Utah are members of the LDS Church. And the LDS Church has a lot of specific guidelines for how you can or should live your life that determine if you are a member in good standing. So a lot of those guidelines end up impacting the way that people live their lives day to day, the the things they vote for, and, you know, as lawmakers, the things that they're going to support. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the LDS Church's rules is that you do not consume things that are intoxicating, even to the point of discouraging caffeine use. Like, so Mormons don't usually drink coffee. I know because it was very hard for me to find a coffee shop (laughs) when I was in Salt Lake City doing this story. (laughs) But, you know, they don't drink beer, they don't drink alcohol, um, Mm -hmm. and that extends to other intoxicating substances like marijuana. There's some people who will stray from that, but as a whole, they all stick pretty strongly to these, these rules and regulations. So how do you get from a church that, you know, actively discourages the use of substances like marijuana to a church that is standing there in the room where a deal has been announced to legalize medical marijuana in the state of Utah. So the fascinating thing about the push for medical marijuana in Utah was that the advocates that were also pushing for medical marijuana were also members of the LDS church. At least a vast majority of them were. And so this was something where the church's guidelines were actually out of step with what a large portion of church members thought was right. And there's a hard line for church members between medical and recreational marijuana. And Mm. that was kind of the crux difference 
that I think the church maybe didn't recognize at first is that consuming something for intoxicating purposes still isn't okay. But consuming something for medical use, I mean, you know, I talked to a number of advocates who said, well, we, we take drugs, like medical drugs, but we wouldn't take those for fun. But we take them when we need them for a medical situation. And another part of Mormon theology is compassion and caring for people. And so a lot of the members of the church said, this is something we need. So they were pushing and pushing for this on Capitol Hill in the Utah legislature. And they kept meeting pushback from the Mormon church, which would come into the room and say, hey, we're you know, I talked to one lawmaker who said that the lobbyists for the Mormon church came into his office and said, hey, we're going to go to leadership and ask them to kill this bill. Eventually, advocates gave up on the legislature and they said, let's see what the people think. And when they did that, they got enough signatures to put it on the ballot. They got more than enough signatures um, because, you know, some always get thrown out mm -hmm. and it was polling at like 72 percent. Wow. So it had a lot of support from Mormons in the state. So the people want it legalized. The Mormon church is against it. They've worked actively to prevent legalization in the state legislature. But you have this ballot initiative gaining traction in the state. What happens next? In the summer, the church contacted a number of different advocates and sent them an email saying, hey, let's meet and let's try to come to a compromise. And they they did that. So they, they got in a room, they brought law enforcement, they brought the Utah Medical Association, they brought some of the top lawmakers in Utah's legislature. And, you know, the advocates that I spoke with said that the church was really instrumental in bringing everyone to the table, that if the church had not said, hey, let's do this, that everyone else would not necessarily have shown up. Huh. So that ended up in this compromise where they took out some of the provisions of the ballot measure and they made it a little bit more conservative. We believe it creates a framework that is good for patients, their caregivers, is good for children, and in our mind, that's good for Utah. Um, they removed things like smokable flour, which, it, you know, the advocates I talked to said, you know, that can seem very recreational, you know, lighting up a joint doesn't totally seem as medical, mm -hmm. but they did listen to the uh, the members of the church. So they, they brought in all of these marijuana users who were part of the church, who were actually using it illicitly in Utah. They were driving to Colorado or Nevada on, on either side, um, the two bordering states where marijuana is legal, and they were purchasing it there and using it in Utah because of their medical conditions. So the church brought in their own members who were using it and listened to them and said, hey, we should actually let people vape flour. We're not going to let them light up a joint, but we're going to let them vape flour. So they got very nitty gritty into the details of this bill and trying to make it seem very medical and very not, hey, we're going to have fun with weed. It kind of reminds me of like someone's parents who don't want their kids 
to drink or whatever in high school, but they're like, if, if you're going <laughs> to do it, do it on our terms, you know, at the house, in the basement, don't go out, don't go wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how, here's how you could do it safely. Like, fine, we are resigned to the fact that you're going to do this. Yeah. But like, we're going to try to control the circumstances in which you do. So how has this turned out? What does legalized medical marijuana look like in Utah now? So it is very medical. I went to one of the dispensaries there and they actually call them pharmacies instead of Mm. dispensaries. And they have a pharmacist on hand who has to check every single order that comes into the dispensary. There's a couple other states that, that do have pharmacists on hand, but Utah, it's just very, very detailed in how they're checking through the system. Uh What was striking was walking into a Utah dispensary compared to walking into a dispensary in almost every state that I've been to, all of the packaging is just white and black. It is not colorful. It is not Mm. going to, um, you know, attract someone with fun logos and designs. It's just, hey, this is what this product is. Um, which to me feels very medical, very more so than kind of the the colorful packaging that you see in California. Mm-hmm. And that was very intentional. Um, the industry itself, anybody that you talk to will have a different opinion on how well it's working for medical patients in Utah. It is expensive because there aren't many dispensaries and there aren't many producers. It's not the only state that has that problem. But there are also people who say, hey, this is working pretty well. And it's not, you know, accidentally diverting medical marijuana to into high schools or to youth. And it's preventing some of the problems that we've seen maybe in other states that that, you know, some of the inadvertent problems. So there's there it's a mixed bag. It's also still pretty new. Hmm. So over the past few years, a bunch of states have legalized weed in some way or another, but there's still a lot of holdouts, um, more than a dozen, and mostly conservative states like Utah um, are the places that haven't legalized weed yet. Are there any lessons you think that can be learned from what Utah has done and how you know, a a more conservative uh, piece of the state's identity, the Mormon church, has kind of helped embrace weed in the state. There's definitely a group of people who want to make this the model for conservative states or say this this is a great way that more conservative states can approach medical marijuana where, hey, you're not pulling in Oregon or actually in Oklahoma, and just making medical marijuana essentially almost recreational marijuana. You're making it medical, which compared to the way that a lot of other countries treat marijuana, medical marijuana, like in Europe, America's medical marijuana programs are very not medical. Hmm. Like they're very more holistic and, you know, naturopathic medicine and kind of that like dietary supplements world a little bit and less of this is a medicine that's prescribed by doctors and you get in a pharmacy with a prescription. Those things happen, but just not the same as they happen in the medical world. Natalie Ferdig, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. 
Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior producer Jenny Ament, executive producer Irene Noguchi, and senior editor Raghu Manavalan. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.